Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. Okay, good. We have a good number. I think we can get started. So, we were in Romans 13 and I'll just give a brief summary because I feel like the more we do these summaries, right, the better it is. I know someone reached out saying, man, the reason they've loved um, these sessions that we've had is because we always kind of have a recap from the very beginning to this point. And you already know what the recap is, right? From the very beginning, Paul is setting out a master class on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he starts by talking about the problem in humanity, right? Man has fallen. Romans 1, 2, and 3, to show that Jews and Gentiles are guilty before God, evident. Then we get to see how God fixed that problem by sending his only son who became a propitiation. We see examples in Romans 4 that God has always been showing his mercy from the very start by declaring people righteous, not by the works that they do, but by their faith. So he talks about Abraham and talks about David in Romans 4. Right, And then we go on to see even more beautifully this grace of God explained. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 is just talking about effect of that message, of that gospel. That we don't have to live and walk in sin anymore because we are dead to sin. We don't have to um, experience um, separation from God because we now have permanent access to the Father in Jesus Christ. You know, and then we have the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, working in us, reminding us of our inheritance, reminding us that we are children of God, you know, and also promising us that we don't have to worry. The end, when the end comes, we will be with him. Why? Because the, we have the inher- um, earnest of our inheritance within us. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as an assurance that God is going to take us when he returns. And then we go to chapter 9 and we start seeing this whole journey of Israel. Like, okay, yes, we're enjoying this as Gentiles. But what about God's own nation of Israel? They're supposed to be special. They're supposed to be the ones believing the Messiah. But guess what? The opposite happened. And so Paul tries to show that God's plan has not yet, even though the Jews are not believing. In Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, Paul just shows the wisdom of God with a doxology in verse 33. He says, Oh, the wisdom of God, his ways are past finding out. That ultimately God will use the, and we talked about this in the quiz, the jealousy um, of the Jews. He triggered when they see the mercy and the kindness of God to those who are without the Gentiles, who were grafted in. So we just see like a beautiful exposition of what God is doing, what God has done and what God will. Um, And then we got to the instructions from verse chapter 12. You know, now that we know the mercies of God, we have to live a certain way. We cannot just say, oh, God has grace and God has forgiven us and then we just ignore everything. No, based on the grace, we must live. So that's the whole idea of Romans 12, starting with offering our bodies as living sacrifices, you know, allowing our minds to be renewed. And a lot of instructions from verse 9, which I gave an assignment on before, from verse 9 all the way to verse 21, instructions here and there, like love must be sincere, you know, honor people just a lot of instructions why should you obey these instructions because god has done something he has shown the mercies of therefore i beseech you brethren by the mercies of god 
this is how you and uh, chapter 13 was not different right we got into chapter 13 and more instructions came you must honor the authority because the authority was placed there by god no matter how vicious and evil they are and i told you about the context rome in rome at the time um, the Romans were the ones dealing with the Israelites in ways that you don't even want to think of. And God was still, through Paul, saying that those people, as harsh and evil as they are, are still ordained by God to be there. Not in the sense that God ordained their and viciousness, but the fact that authority is God's design in how things should work. God is a God of order. So there has to be structure to everything. And so God wants you to honor the authorities as a picture of how you should honor. So the, the purpose of authority in the first place is to punish evil, right? Remember that we talked about it. Punish evil and to reward and well-do. And so that's what we see in the book of, um, you know, in the chapter Romans uh, 13. I want to share my screen now because we're about to go um, the next chapter. Any questions so far? It's, it's important that I, I get feedback. Any questions on that review? Or is there anything that was not clear when we talked about romance? I know I, I mentioned something the other day that um <laughs> that the reason I believe in capital punishment, the reason I believe the death sentence is because of something I saw here and I, I, I brought it up. I don't know if you remember um that God gave the these people, they bear the sword. They don't bear the sword in vain, right? Uh, verse 4. It says, for he is God's minister to you um for good. If you do evil, be afraid. Because he doesn't bear the sword in vain. And the sword there always represents punishment and death, right? Um, to avenge and execute wrath on him who practices evil. So there is that sense that the God who... And this might speak to a question Adeshawa asked me earlier. Um, most people think that God changed. But the reality is he remained the same. What got clearer was our understanding of his nature. When we see what Jesus came to for us. But... We must never separate concepts like wrath, punishment, vengeance from God. We cannot separate those things from him. Even though we want to or we have a feeling, you know, most people want to make Jesus and God as like Santa Claus. That he's only here to give gifts in December. He's kind to us. He looks at a list who is naughty and nice, right? And blesses those who, are, who do good and curses those who don't. Um, and that's kind of like the summary of who God is. But... If you have a holistic view of the Bible, you see that God has not just be, become merciful when Christ came. No, God has been merciful even before Christ came. The mercy of God was always prevalent in the Old Testament. That same place where you are seeing nations wiped away, right? Um, people dying on the spot for doing something. And I know it's hard to, re, you know, resolve all these things together. But it's very simple. When you understand that everything God does is good. So... If someone came into my house and I gave this example the last time and was trying to rob my house, I'm, I'm here, I have my children, I'm married. Am I going to say, oh, I forgive you, I love you, you know, you come in, do whatever you want with my family? No, the righteous, holy, kind, merciful thing to do there is beat him up if I have the ability to, you know, perform any self-defense training I have, whether it means the person, and ultimately hand them over to the police in, a, in the opportunity that I can. Guess what? That is the righteous thing to do because I am saving another person's life. And so when you see the punishment of nations in the Old Testament, I don't know why I'm even going here, 
But I feel like it's important. When you see the punishment of nations in the Old Testament, it's the mercy of God on those who are living right. It's the mercy of God to make sure that the world is not a mess. Imagine if God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at the things they were doing. They were homosexuality was rampant. They were it was so bad that they would come into a place and want to sleep with other men. It was so depraved that time that that you know that environment was so depraved that even Lot said, Ah, I have daughters. Let me <laughs> let me give my daughters so you can sleep with them. For someone who is supposed to be a father protecting his children, be willing to give them over to people to sleep with them just so that the men, the angels that came in will not be defiled. It's it's hard to fathom. And, and, and so if if you think about the fact that God is like, I'm not I can't I can't let this can this cancer stay on the face of the earth. And so God wipes them off with fire. Guess what? That wrath is the goodness of God. So that's my point. When evildoers are punished, it is God's goodness. It doesn't change his love. It doesn't change his nature. We just have to reorient our minds to understand that um, Santa Claus-like figure of God that the Hollywood and the world has sold to us is not the God of the Bible. So most people would come. I remember having a conversation with someone. And I, ex- I talked about the mercy, the kindness, and goodness of God. And we need to understand that in depth. Like, it's important. When you think about the goodness of God, you should be like, yes, God is kind. God, God is amazing. God is, you know, all of that. But I had a conversation, and the person, they're happy I'm speaking about things like that. That they don't even believe God is the one that did anything that is Old Testament. Right? So if you see anything that happened, say, ah, God cannot be schizophrenic or bipolar. That one day is good, the other, another day is very bad. I said, yeah, God is not bipolar. Absolutely. Let it not be head in our mouths. But I said, why are you thinking that way? I said, but look at Jesus. Like, Jesus is absolutely kind. He heals everyone who is sick. He He's just kind, meek, gentle. I said, okay, let's look at the Jesus of the Bible. Not the one you just painted. I said, all those things you said are true. But do you remember he flogged people? <laughs> I don't know what people think Jesus was. But he was a prophet. And prophets were vicious. He flogged people out of the place of worship. He said, no, this is my father's house. It's a place of prayer. You people have turned it to a den of thieves. What else do we see Jesus do? He used, permit me to say, foul language. Um, just for the sake of argument here. He called people foxes vipers which other word he called them very very mean words that if i use them today someone can come and say ah why are you using harsh words but he did rightly so don't get me wrong rightly so his flogging of those people was correct was just it was right because they were replacing a place of worship for selling things that that don't glorify god what else do we know about jesus yes he came to save john 3 16 17 18 he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But guess what? what's going to happen in, at his return? Jesus, so the same Jesus, he's going to come. The, the Revelation describes him as having a sword in his mouth to bring judgment on the earth. It's the same Jesus. So he didn't change. God has always been the same. There's always going to be wrath, justice, as well as mercy and good. And those two don't have to contradict it. I hope with those few points, like I've helped some just to bring some balance to our understanding of this. Because when we come to what we're studying now, it may be hard to understand that the instructions Paul gives us to, you know, um, honor the leaders, 
who are in authority, even when they are in sin. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Why should we do that? But biblically speaking, when we understand that God placed the authority and the system for sanity, for order, and for his glory, then we would approach it differently. So we should we should be the best citizens. Remember I talked about this last week. We should be the best citizens. We should be paying our taxes, right? I emphasize this, that money that is due the government should be given to the government. Jesus depicted that in his earthly ministry. And then we're not supposed to owe anyone. We're supposed to love each other genuinely, right? And I talked about not giving the flesh, verse 14 of Romans 13, right? Don't give room to the flesh. Don't create opportunities to fall. And we live in a generation where that's the easiest thing to do. We just create it. And when it happens, we're like, oh my God, I never thought it would happen. But we create the opportunities to be tempted. Um, And so we need to be super careful. So let's jump to Romans 14 verse 1. Now, Paul has not changed his theme, right? In the sense that it's one letter. He's still giving instruction. He's still in the line of what should we do as believers. And he just spoke about love not long ago. Not giving room to the flesh. Loving people genuinely. So now he's still in that same line of thought. And so we see in Romans 14 verse 1. He says, receive one who is weak in the faith. But not to dispute over doubtful. Um, so the, I think the first question we should ask since this is Bible. What does it mean for a person in the faith? Does anyone want to try? What does it mean to the faith? Yeah, if I go ahead. Um, I would say, I think I read this in First Corinthians 2 where Paul repeated it. It's probably referring to, you know, uh, I don't know if I should use the word conscience, but our knowledge of our faith. Mm. Um, so I think to illustrate this, can I give an example? Sure, sure. So um, I know, let me just use this example because I read this recently. So in First Corinthians 8, Paul was talking about idols, mm-hmm. you know, um, and how, you know, idols are really nothing. If you read chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, it's basically what I'm, I'm just giving a summary. So Paul was saying that, you know, idols are basically nothing mm-hmm. in this world because we serve only one God and there's only one Lord who is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So he was basically writing to the Corinthians about food sacrifice to idols, should we eat it, should we not eat it, and so forth. You know, and Paul was saying that you eating food sacrifice idols because of, because you know that an idol doesn't do anything, it doesn't really defile you, it does nothing for you. And you don't really gain anything either by not eating it. Right. But then he then went on to say that, but for those who have not come to that knowledge, if they see someone else who maybe is stronger in the faith, that have that knowledge that eating food sacrifice to idols does not do anything, it can defile their conscience. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Paul even goes on to say that if you do that knowingly, it's even a sin. Mm. So it has it has more to do with our knowledge of basic things when it comes to understanding our faith, you know. Yeah. And you can yeah. think of it as somebody like maybe who is a new Christian, mm-hmm. someone who is just starting out the journey of Christ is not going to know some basic stuff. Whereas yeah. someone who has been there for maybe months or years already has a greater understanding. Mm-hmm. So I I, be, I want to believe that's what Paul says when he's referring to weak. It's basically having knowledge about certain things about your faith. Okay. I, 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 I agree. Don't worry. That's, that's absolutely right as well. Um, so I think Paul has some categories in mind, and I'm going to just share some of them. I, uh, Delight says, acts of righteousness like covering hair and such are important to their faith. Okay. Okay. So let's look at what I think Paul might be saying. I think one of the giveaways here is to partner verse 1 with verse 2. So let's read it together. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith but not to dispute over doubtful things. 
For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak <laughs> eats only vegetables. It's so interesting that, in a sense, the person who is supposed to be more reserved about what's eating is considered weak, right? Is it not counterintuitive? Most times you think the person who has more discipline or more restrictions tends to be stronger one, but Paul is saying that person is weak. I think it's, it's, it's instructive because what is the person weak in? It's in matters of eating and drinking, all right? So I think a good way to describe a weak person, right, in, um, in, in, in the lines of what Paul, Paul is saying here, is a person who is putting emphasis, just like um, I just said, putting emphasis on the things that are not the core and making those things define how they live and how their devotion is with God. So, for example, someone else might be eating everything, but for them, they eat only vegetables. You ask them why, then they have very good reasons for them. But are they founded on the scripture? The entire teaching of scripture, that's when it's a question. So I think there, there are, you know, like, let me say there are like four reasons, just to give a good number, four reasons why a Christian might be weak or how we, what we can use to categorize a Christian as being weak. So first of all, we can talk about a weak Christian as someone who is a babe in Christ, right? So this is someone who they don't have sound teaching. They're just, you know, and you know, in the real sense of things, babies are weak, right? Babies cannot carry heavy things. Babies are very, very... F- so they might be babes in Christ. Um, another you know, reason why a Christian might be weak is they, you know, they may actually be sick or diseased. And in the sense of how I can carry that into the teaching here is they are so legalistic. Now, there's a difference between being disciplined and being legalistic. One of the major differences is the judgment aspect of it. So you can be disciplined for yourself. For example, I can tell myself, I'm not going to watch TV. That's my my act of consecration towards God. That is discipline. When it becomes legalism is when I say, look at Ife, he's watching film. That is, I've crossed the line. And sometimes very subtle, we don't even realize it. We start judging other people for the consecration act that we've put upon ourselves. Um... So that's one um, way of looking at someone being weak. And legalism here, he's eating only vegetables, which in his opinion is the righteous thing to do. Those who are eating meat, they are sinning against God because why? Meat has been offered to idols. And in that context, they would offer those animals. They had like a meat market um, for the temple of Zeus. And so they will offer, like they will say, oh, this is the meat. Zeus has provided the meat. That's where they will buy the meat. So these people would have thought of it that, ah, this thing is offered to Zeus, so we cannot eat it. Vegetables for me, for life. But the moment it becomes legalism is when they see other people and want to draw those people into their own personal convictions that have, that have no um, very like strong scriptural guidance on. And that will lead me to the second phrase there, doubtful things. And I think it's so important that we understand the distinctives here. Um, doubtful things are examples like this. Eating only vegetables. How does that have to do with anything relating to our worship of God? You know, Jesus used the, the, the sense that, oh, it's not, it doesn't matter what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out that matters. That's what Jesus himself said. Paul said it's not about 
meat or drink. That's what the, the kingdom is about. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, right? So, most people want to be so fixated. I mean, I, I will say this, you know, because I think the, this crowd is a good crowd. You guys have you heard me teach for a while, and you're, I mean, you have a, a good balance to these things. Um, but I think it extends to, you know, things like Ilea meat now. So someone in their own mind may be super convinced that, you know, this, I don't want, I just want to stay away from that kind of meat. In Paul's mind, <laughs> I'm just reading from scripture, in Paul's mind, he would consider that person, and just let me build that, build my case, a weak Christian. Not because the person is less spiritual, but in that area, they would want other people to be like them. When Paul says everything that has been created, they create um, burdens upon themselves to, um, that other people cannot bear, if that makes sense. But then, I'm also saying this carefully because some people might just say this is their choice and may not have crossed the legalistic line. It could just be a consecration act, you know, on their own end. But let's keep reading because I don't want to bring these thoughts in without the scriptures um, guiding the conversation. So notice the, the, the issue here. And let me just talk about doubtful things again shortly. So you read this and you see that the conversation is about eating meat or eating vegetables and some other things that, you know, Paul also um, spoke about in uh, 1 Corinthians. But give me an example, if you can, of a doubtful thing. Let me define it first. Doubtful things are things that are not exclusively taught in scriptures. And they are wisdom issues. Okay, someone says yoga. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I want to hear some examples. So yoga, so yoga is a doubtful thing because some people practice yoga for what they call mindfulness, self awareness and activation and meditation right that's those are things that come around yoga so one person might say this is idol worship this is witchcraft why are you doing meditation right someone else might say oh no yoga just means mindfulness i'm not worshiping any idol by doing it i'm just stretching my body you know you know core exercise okay i'm hearing some other options some people say modern day tattoos and body piercings okay you know that's a huge debate in the body of christ should somebody get tattoos should someone not get tattoos i think the question will now be remember before you define something as being a doubtful subject or a doubtful you have to ask what is the exclusive teaching in the bible on this subject so if somebody were to say in the chat now, having sex before marriage, that is not a doubtful thing at all. The Bible is very clear. First, First Thessalonians talks extensively about it. First Corinthians 9 talks about it. First, Corinthians, First Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you stay away from sexual immorality. Um, I can go on and on. So that's not even a conversation, right? So, um, so someone said women wearing trousers. That's a doubtful thing. Why? Because what you wear, how does it have anything, you know, with the state of one's heart? I think ultimately, what you wear has a way of revealing your understanding of your worth and God's um, place in your life. So if someone is dressing crazily, they are wearing pocket square for their skirt, you know, half yard, quarter yard, you know that that one, that's not 
but that's that's not a doubt that is just being you know unwise right um you know so i i think i think when it comes to subjects like this it's it's and so that's the principle the principle here i don't want you to when it comes to doubtful like smoking there's no verse in the bible and, and this is like hard stuff some people are looking some people are squeezing their faces right now like ah what are you saying are you saying smoking is not um is are you saying smoking is a doubtful thing ah absolutely let me tell you some people you've read and you never knew they smoked people you've read oh aw toza he used to smoke pipe charles podgeon used to smoke pipe <laughs> em bounds that wrote on prayer he was a smoker um and many of these things have to do with where you are raised. Some people believe in not drinking coffee. Like, it's a sin. I hope you know that. There are some, many Baptists, they don't drink coffee. But me, I love coffee. My, I'm drinking co- My dad made me coffee, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, daddy. He made me coffee. So, I drink coffee. But according to them, I'm in trouble. So, um, when it has to do with... So, and you see, this point that Ife brought up is such, such a very important one because... Why should you not smoke? We may not see any verse in the Bible that says don't, but we have principle. Your body is the temple of the host. It should be treated well. You should take care of yourself. It's God's desire that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So make wise decisions for your health. But do you know that there are certain situations, even for the sake of Christ, that you treat and maltreat your body because you want to reach out to people? I mean, that's literally Paul. Always getting beaten, always being shipwrecked, <laughs> cold. First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, twelve. Just talked about so many things that he suffered bodily. So would you say, ah, he's sinning because he's not looking at his body as the temple of God? No. So it is a. This is why we we call the subject doubtful things. Paul couldn't spend his time listing all the things because when you look at Romans, the book of Romans, you can tell he was responding teachings in the church, just like he, it was in. First uh, Corinthians two. Um, so I'm seeing more people. People want me to talk about some of these things. So let me just read them. Um, modesty is the prin- principle in the scriptures, but the expression tends to be unique. Absolutely. Um, smoking is a doubtful thing from a spiritual perspective, but from a health perspective, though we talked about that now. Taking care of your body is important. Yes, it can apply to coffee too. When you take it excessively, right? You drink it too much, and you're harming your heart and your life. Someone said drinking alcohol. That's another doubtful thing. So notice the ev- all of these doubtful things have a point they will cross that they are no longer doubtful. So it starts as a doubtful, but you can cross the line and become a sinful thing. So perfect example, drinking alcohol. Reading the scriptures fairly and truthfully, like without any bias, you will see time and again that alcohol was served in in the jewish feast it was a normal thing for them to uh, people called jesus a drunkard i don't for them to to make that false accusation at jesus for someone who who if you say there's a if you assume that jesus never drank any wine why would somebody make the, the statement or the assumption that he was a drunkard and he dwelt with drunkards like there are some things you just look at. He was at a feast, a wedding at Cana. He turned water to wine. That wine was not um, fruit juice that we put that uh, chamdo. What's this? Thing? <laughs> it was alcoholic. And then sometimes you will see fermented grapes. You see like 
um, specific description there. And I've, I've done some research on this, looked at some commentaries. This is alcoholic wine. So what is God against? Is God against drinking? God is against drunkenness. But here's the, this is why I said doubtful things <laughs> needs to be understood very carefully. Because someone can say, oh, okay, God is against drunkenness and I can drink as long as I don't get drunk. That's where there's a problem. Now, that thing becomes an idol because you can't let go of it. You cannot sacrifice something that you potentially lead to drunkenness. So I think that's where you have to understand where you're at. Some people drink casually. For example, Paul was like, Timothy, drink a little wine for your frequent illness. Wine is medicinal. So for Paul to instruct his son in the Lord to drink something that could potentially cause drunkenness means that he understood that that wine had its purpose. So he wasn't saying go and drink and get drunk. He was saying drink a little wine. So uh, there are a lot of things that when you bring everything in scripture together, you have to come to a conclusion that the church debates and separates and divides on trivial issues. We're supposed to be out there preaching the gospel. People are perishing. People are losing their lives, but we are so focused on why are you wearing trousers? Why are you not covering your head? Why? Are you? And then people are perishing. And so the church, people are running away from the church because they cannot see love. They cannot see um, fruit of the spirit. All they are seeing is this church is against this church. This church is better than this church. And we are missing the whole point. Um, so I, I feel like this is a conversation we can continue having. I'm not going to rush through. If we don't finish um, Romans 14, as we always do, we just continue so that we make sure that we have a strong understanding. But have I answered the, the question of what doubtful, just for the sake of repetition, doubtful things are matters that are wisdom issues. They do not have any clear biblical teaching in the scripture. Theft is not a doubtful thing. Sexual sin is not a doubtful thing, all right? Doubtful things are all these things we've discussed. Smoking, um, casual drinking, um, some issues around modesty. And then in the context of Paul's teaching here, he's saying one of the examples of someone who is a weak person or someone who disputes over doubtful, one of the doubtful vegetables. So let's proceed. I know I have things in the chat, but you guys like this subject because your interaction, uh, you're inter hey, dear Lord, <laughs> you're interacting a whole lot in the chat. I love it. All right, let's go on. So now this is very crucial. Listen to Paul's instruction. Now we know who a weak person is and what's, you know, um, doubtful things are but here's what he says let him let not him who eats despise him who does not eat you see that's where you cross the line if you cross the line from just a consecration thing to a legalistic thing where you are judging people like i mentioned earlier because they are not doing the very thing you are doing you choose to be a vegetarian but because other people are not vegetarians you judge them and say oh yeah you're not doing the right thing then that's a problem. That's what Paul is warning against. He says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let him, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. So Paul is speaking to the two categories. In this case, the strong brother and the weak brother. Now, when you eat vegetables only, don't despise the one who is eating and the one who is eating vegetables only should not judge the one who is Same thing goes the other way around. Even though the person might be in your opinion, don't judge them for just eating vegetables alone. Why? For God has received them. I think that's so important. So the, the summary or the principle here is we must 
accept people who are weak in the faith. And you must understand that Paul is basically saying, don't make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship. The church is going to have different people at different levels of their spiritual journey. So you need to always act in love. If you are someone who has some consecrations, you don't have to judge those who are not. For example, I know there was a time there was this whole conversation. A, a church said, you know, this is what we will practice in this church. Now, that's a good thing to do for your church. We want to serve God. We want to have this consecration act. Let's do it. So it could be something like we're not watching TV. It could be a thing of we are staying away from social media. There are a lot of churches that have those kind of in their church just to keep them pure and holy. And I think it's so important in our day that churches decide on what are we agreeing on together as a family that we're going to. But where it becomes a problem is if a church now generalizes to all the churches and says, you people are missing the mark because you're not doing. I, I know a church that the, their music is always, you know, hymns. They only sing hymns. No instruments, nothing. And then they say, all these people that are dancing and clapping their hands, are they really serving God? Are they, are they not doing things out of the, the, the you know, they are, they are using canal means to worship a spiritual being. <laughs> I've heard a lot of things, right? And when you, when you just look at it, on the surface, it doesn't make sense. It's just very, very trivial. So don't make disputes on doubtful things um, a norm, you know. Someone said, so churches... Um, go the opposite extreme i had a story of a church that did a watch party for game of thrones and were inviting other churches eh what sorry that's not a church by the way i was driving home today i went out earlier i was driving home and i saw a church i was going to google it but i forgot to um him now something church like a name like grand brook church and then in between the grain and the brook there was a rainbow flag, long rainbow flag. And then on their window, far away, was, we love everyone, another rainbow flag. And I was like, what is going on? Like, what, what are they, like, if that is the first thing they put in, their, on, in the front of their church, like, I don't even, but is that a doubtful thing? <laughs> I cannot speak to that until I go to the church, see what they are trying to do. Um, anyway, let's move on. So notice, God has received both of them. So don't make your... Um, fellowship based on their spiritual maturity has nothing to do with that. As God accepted them, if he has, they are your brothers and sisters. And you should love them, receive the one. So Paul goes ahead in verse 4 and says, Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I love Paul so much. So Paul is basically saying, um, you have a master. This person also has a master. He is the one that has every right to judge. You have no place to judge because you are not to judge another man's servant. To his own master, he rises or he falls. He stands or he falls. Like the argument is, let God be the judge of individuals. I think we need to start taking the vindictiveness from us. Like take the, just don't leave it. When it comes to doubtful matters, don't be the judge. But we like to be the judge, right? Paul is instructing. God is able to make him stand. God knows personally, which is why I've always said this, you know, in passing many times. Yes, the church is a corporate body. We are the body of Christ. But your spiritual walk and experience is very personal. Very personal. You have a Lord and Savior that is personal. 
So you might see someone that is doing certain things and behaving in a certain way and you start to judge them that is in, not only you know God, but you don't understand where they are coming from. You don't understand their background. You don't know if God has delivered them from something so horrific and they're like, ah, for the rest of my life I will live for you and I will be crazy about you. But you, you grew up in a Christian family, no challenges, no, nothing went wrong in your life. So you don't understand other people's problems or where they are coming from. And I think that's something that we need to be very, very daily fixing in our lives. Don't be quick to judge other people because we have the same master, but we don't cross. Your, my master is Jesus. Their master is Jesus. But the moment we start crossing, right, we're judging another person's servant. It may be the same person, but that's the principle. Don't judge another person's servant because there is that individual relationship God has with. Does that make any sense? All right. So uh, he says one person, and this is the, you know, someone brought up this question in the chat, if you remember. And I, I this was this text I brought up. I think it was Lawrence. It says, Paul is giving another example of a doubtful thing. He says, one person esteems one day above another. So there are people that say, ah, on Saturday, Sabbath, I cannot do anything. And that person says, ah, my own Sabbath is Sunday. And that person says, I don't believe Sabbath is taken in that light. <laughs> so these are three people that have different views. One person esteems one day above another. The other one says, all the days are the same. I don't think I have to go to church on Sunday. I think I can have fellowship with other believers on a Tuesday. I went to Dubai. I found out their church meetings are Friday. Are they all against? Are they outside the will of God because they are meetings? There are so many things that I'm like, what? What are we trying to get at? Is it that God that day because it's Sunday, S U N, so it, <laughs> it represents God? Or what is special about that? Now the reason we worship on Sundays. I don't know if I've I've done. Um, do I want to go into this subject? There has a lot to. Do, it has a lot to do Catholic faith, the Roman Catholic faith, as well as some scriptures that seem to tell us that that was when they met for example first corinthians 16 right um yeah so people say resurrection but that's not even the biggest argument but romans first uh, corinthians 16 verse 1 paul is asking for a collection he says on the first day of the week when you gather oh so people have been like okay we gather on the first day of the week the first day of the week is sunday and that's what a lot of churches have followed but i think the point is one person may esteem one day as being more special. Another person might think, no, we are, they are all the same. Does Paul say one is right, one is wrong? No. What does he say? Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. It is your responsibility, your conscience. He who observes, verse 6, the day observes it to the Lord. Right? Is it not to the Lord? It's to him. It's not to anybody else. And he who does not observe the day, it's also to the Lord that he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. So Paul is just giving us that a broader picture of what he's saying. For none of, none of us lives to ourselves and none of us dies to ourselves, right? So he says, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Can you tell me the most repeated word in all of these texts that we've read? Live and die. Eh? No. No, sorry. Lord, thank you. Beautiful. To God. So the point is, yeah, good, good job. You guys are on point. Nice. So the whole idea is, hey, this faith rests on the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, it has nothing to, or it has little to do with the, doubtful issues the question is whatever you are doing are you doing it to the lord 
That's what matters. So Paul is like, that this should clear all dispute. If a woman comes in and says, I'm convinced I'm supposed to cover my head when I'm in the church, I would gladly accept because what? That's their consecration to the Lord. Amen? If somebody says, I do not wear shoes to enter the church because it's the holy ground. Ah, even though I understand that the, that, that has nothing to do with ritual work with God. I will ask, I will, it's okay. To the Lord, you are worshipping. To the Lord, I am worshipping. Finito, right? And that's the thing. You have to carry this mindset because it will make you live a free life. Like you will not be holding grudges that you don't need to carry. So some of us are getting older because we are just overwhelming ourselves with the burdens that we don't need to carry. Look at the last statement. Therefore, whether we live or die, who, are we, who, are, who do we belong to? He ends it with, we are the Lord's. Like, ultimately, it's still God. When we leave this place, <laughs> it won't matter what we are wearing or what we put on our head or, or what we ate. What will matter is that we are the Lord's. And this might even be shocking, Daphne, to answer your question. I'll be very careful with my response, but I, the question is, what about speaking in tongues as well as women teaching, eh? teaching in tongues in church? Okay. I was like, I didn't know that one was a thing. <laughs> okay. So the question is, what about speaking in tongues? I think from my exposure, let me just say it this way. Less than 35%, and that's a very generous number, of the church in the world today actively function in the gift of speaking. And that's not a good thing. The Bible, you know, admonishes us. Let me switch my camera. I'm so sorry. The Bible admonishes us to, first of all, to desire, to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. All right. So, um, can you guys still see? Yeah. The Bible, the Bible teaches us clearly that we should not despise spiritual gifts. We should not despise prophesying. Right. First Thessalonians 5. We should be willing to accept prophecy. And then we should not tell anyone to stop. Paul literally said it. Do not stop anyone. Please, I hope you guys are still in the chat. But so there are instructions in the word of fan the flame, right? To stir up spiritual gifts, to desire it. Um, but my question is, what are these things salvific? Or do they are they necessarily about the salvation of God? In one sense, they are. Because gifts, the gifts of the Spirit are a manifestation or a clear um, of the glorification of Christ, right? That's what the scripture that, you know, they spoke in tongues and glorified God. So every Christian should desire that and should function in that. But when a person is not there, what I consider at that point is they are weak. And so ultimately, I have to, I must not despise them, right? That's one. I must receive them. Number That's second. I should teach them. Because many of us here, you were also at some point, I don't know, antagonistic towards anyone who, that, because you had probably seen excesses, you had probably seen a lot of things and you just did not believe. Now, people were patient with you and they said, hey, look at what the word, that should be up. But the moment we start separating ourselves from other believers because they um, prophesy or don't interpret um, tongues or they don't, I mean, you could carry that over to healing the sick, the gift of healing, the gift of wisdom, you know, words of, so are you going to now criticize people in the words of wisdom or knowledge or don't have the gift? Like, to what point do we, so I think the whole idea is patiently guide them to the scriptures, teach them. But I, it's, I think we have every right to consider them because um, they are making a very strong, um, they are rejecting something that is to them, either by wrong teaching, wrong understanding, 
or just just anything could be a lot of reasons so that that would be my response to that um i i wouldn't want to say that someone who doesn't speak in tongues is not first of all like there's some extreme that's like that's the doctrine of, i don't know how anyone can come to that um the, the gifts of the spirit are signs of the work of god in a person they're not the thing that make that person a child of god all right so don't don't let that be an issue but it is such a powerful gift it is such a powerful gift that why would you not want like i think that's just the angle to see it from like hey i get you might have some doubts i understand that you're eating do you realize that all meats belong to god like not all meats are sacrificed uh, even if they are sacrificed to idols, they still belong to God. God created all of them and there's no idol alive. Just like Paul's argument. You can make that argument to a, a believer that is a babe in Christ. That, hey, God wants you to function in, in the spiritual gifts. God wants you to be a powerful um, expression of the glorification of Jesus. So, teach and ultimately trust God to work through that. So, let's see how far we can go. We're almost done. For to this... To this end, Christ died. Oh, think about this. <sighs> Watch this. Paul is trying to point our attention back to the, the most important thing that, hey, you may have differences, but this is the point. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord, right? Um, therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived and he did that, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul's argument, you belong to God, whether you are dead or alive. And it was to this end. This was the purpose. Christ died for you. Let's not focus on all the other things. Divide us. It's what makes us work. And Elijah says, that's my Christian argument. Honestly, cannot be things. Like, find it on some garden. Don't say any scripture that's... I wouldn't take it. I don't advise anyone to take it. Anything that makes sense and awareness of your surroundings, not wise. Um, double into it. I think God wants you to be and that's why it doesn't because what drunkenness it takes you but i mean a debate that could even follow after is what of anesthesia <laughs> i don't even want to cross that line because some people literally some i think the jehovah's with they don't believe in i you know you're, you're taking my I, i'm not aware of what's happening but i would look at that and say no it's for a medical purpose but they would say uh no anything that takes we stay away from wine we stay away from coffee from anything that can take away my agency so there will always be extreme um, but the whole point is when it comes to doubtful things and courtroom, um, I mean, yeah, they're caught. I just brought that example for you to understand. But when it comes to doubtful things and core Christian beliefs, you must know the difference. And when it comes to doubtful, you must be able to say, hey, what matters here is that Christ died. That's the, the purpose. To this end, Christ died and rose and lived again and rose and lived again that he might be Lord, the dead and the living. So let's begin to wrap this up the rest of it is just literally i can read through and you understand what he's saying he says verse 10 but why do you judge your brother why do you show contempt for your brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of christ god is the judge it's not you for as it is written as i live says the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to god so each each of us then of then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So Paul is just very, very clearly saying, don't be the judge of people. respect to doubtful. God is, they've crossed the line. It's not for you to worry about. That's not uh, prerogative. That's not it. It's God. You will have to give an account to God. So he says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this to not put a stumbling block or to cause to fall or a cause to fall in sister's way. So I think the the, the idea is very simple. 
instead of judging, look at how you can remove stumbling blocks. So instead of coming at them, you should say, okay, okay, I understand that they, what I'm going to do is as long as I'm around them, I will cater to that. I will not eat meat and be doing, you know, some people are very crazy. They see vegetarian, they will bring chicken, turkey, in front. That is not loving, right? Anything that will cause that person who is convinced in their own mind about something to start with, and it's not through teaching, but, um, you know, whatever that is, is, is a stumbling block. So, um, this is verse 13. I think we'll stop here and we'll continue from um, next week. God will. All right. So, any questions from anyone? We stopped at verse 14 and we'll just continue from there into uh, 15 as well because we're seeing the same um, line of thought. So, any, any, any thoughts, any questions, anybody? Last words. That's true. Merry Christmas, everyone. Two days from now. Um, it's going to be. I want to know how you want to celebrate that. If there's no question, I will pray for us so we can check out. Oh, the woman teaching in church part. What do you think? Let's talk up. Can you remind me next week? Because it's a, it's a, I listened to a six hour. What am I saying? Six plus several hours, all different, very, very, um, position. On it. I have a position now, but it might have a lot. It might change. Um, so just give me some time, but I'll share my thoughts, the different views and what I think is more biblical. Um, some, so some things are not sins, but it's dangerous to you as a believer and can lead to it. Absolutely. Which is what Paul meant when he said, make no provision for the flesh. Or in Hebrew, lay aside every weight and the sin. So there's weight too. Um, and you're called to remove both the weight and the sin. Um, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing in your flesh, but by the Spirit, it's when he helps you. All right. Thanks for your time. We're out of time. Let me... Pray for us and then we'll be out of here. Hi, Oinda. Good to see you here. Hi, Naomi. By the way, you guys can always miss any part of it. Good to see you here, Sarah. Uh, my regards to your husband. I know you had to leave. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us that what matters is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for our sakes. And so we will not divide on trivial, doubtful things. Unite in the fact that Jesus died for us, that we believe in the gospel of Jesus, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Thank you because we are separate um, pleasure and your purposes. And Lord, so we, we, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that we will live and practicalize everything, that we will love people genuinely, will not cause our brothers and sisters to stumble freedoms that we have in Christ. Um, help us to walk in wisdom even to those who are without as well. We bless you, we worship you. And Lord, even as we have a beautiful Christmas celebration, help us to focus our mind on that as we as a nation and as a community have decided to celebrate December 25th and you know elevate it in our own decision to worship and thank you for um, the gift of Jesus. Help us to think about the reality of that fact, that Jesus became man, God became man, so that we might be, become sons of God. Thank you for that truth. We love you and we cherish you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word of God. If you would like to join the actual World Dinner Sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link bmg.disha.page. It's always on Fridays, 9 p.m. West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and... See you when next it's dinner time.